You are Locked On Phillies, your daily Philadelphia Phillies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, guys? It is Friday, July 3rd, 2020. This is Locked On Phillies. I'm Tim Kelly. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. You know Built Bar. We've been talking about them for quite a while now, and if you haven't tried one yet, it's really your loss at this point. When we first started talking about them, they sent me some samples, and I have just become addicted to Built Bar. I eat them every day. They're protein bars that taste like candy bars, so you get all the good stuff. They're high in the things that you want, and they're low in all the bad stuff that you don't want to put in your body, so th- there's really no negative to it. You get good stuff. You don't get bad stuff. What wouldn't you like about that? Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. So for today's show, I had a chance to talk to Pat McCarthy, who was the Iron Pigs radio voice. We talked about what the canceling of the minor league season earlier this week means for minor league towns and cities. He's also Tom McCarthy's son, so we hit on a variety of topics, uh, including what it's like when your dad is criticized throughout your entire adolescence, what it's like having to come into an industry that your dad is in and hearing criticism about how you may have gotten there. So it was a wide-ranging interview, and I I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to Pat. So let's take a listen. So, Pat, I'm from the Lehigh Valley. I know what the Iron Pigs mean to the community there. But for people that maybe didn't grow up around there or around Reading or any minor league team, can you explain what not having a minor league season really means, not just – in terms of baseball development, but for the communities? Yes, and you know, we are spoiled in the eastern Pennsylvania area for great minor league baseball and great fans. And you know, I've worked both in Reading and in, and in Lehigh Valley, and obviously the fans there are just absolutely incredible. I tell people all the time that it's very rare that you have fans of a minor league team. They're fans of a big league team, and then they root for the minor league team. People in Reading and people in Lehigh Valley, they're fighting Phils or they're Pigs fans, and it's awesome because they get into it. We go to so many minor league ballparks where there's 2,000 people in the stands. They're there, but they're not into it. When there's 10,000 fans at Coca-Cola Park, and it's a big game, and there's two strikes in the eighth inning with a runner on second base and the pigs are up by one, the fans are into it. And it's awesome because you can't replicate that at many minor league stadiums. And the pigs do so much for the Lehigh Valley in terms of giving back. I mean, Iron Pigs Charities has donated so much money. It's awesome that they care about the community more than I think a lot of minor league teams do. And the Phillies organization as a whole really impressive with that. But so the last minor league season it's tough for the Lehigh Valley because people associate summer the last eleven, twelve years with going to Coca Cola Park. Because from April until the first weekend in September, that's the Labor Day, the pigs are there. Of course they're on the road here and there, but it's something to do. You know on a Friday night you can spend 50 bucks, bring a family out to Coca-Cola Park, watch a baseball game, get a meal, and watch fireworks. And that's a full family night. And, and I think that's what minor league baseball is. It's family. It's the ability to bring.
an entire community together. I'm down at the Jersey Shore right now. I'm about two hours from Coca-Cola Park, and I'm actually in New York territory. You go to the Ocean Cities and the Sea Isles, the Wildwoods, obviously. You're in Philadelphia territory, but I'm in New York territory right now. And I was wearing one of my Iron Pig shirts yesterday walking down the street, and some guy on a bike just randomly yelled, Go Pigs, as he was passing by me. It just shows that people care about the minor league teams, that people care about the Iron Pigs. And it's a shame that we're not going to have a minor league season, obviously, because it's so much fun there. And I think everybody knows that. And But that's also what makes 2021 so exciting is you know that even though there's not going to be an Iron Pig season this year, fans are still going to come to Coca-Cola Park this summer. They're going to go play golf from hitting from the berm, or they went to the character cruise throughs that we did at the beginning of this, where they're going to go and watch fireworks and people will still come. And I just know that 2021 is end up going to end up being such a special season because of that, because people crave that fan excitement and that energy and that family atmosphere that comes from going to baseball games in the Lehigh Valley. So it's a shame. It's disappointing. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of us saw it coming over the last couple of months with the current climate, but it just means that come 2021, we're going to have another opportunity and people are going to be that much more excited to come watch a baseball game. So hopefully next April, we're back to normal as much as we can be and uh, minor league baseball returns to the Lehigh Valley. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember one of the first few seasons that the Iron Pigs were in the Lehigh Valley being at a game and seeing people tailgating in the parking lot. Like, it really is. Yeah. And Reading is a lot a lot the same way. To me, Reading is like the most amazing minor league baseball town there is. But the, the experience, and like you said, there's people, it's almost the reverse of, in a lot of cases, people follow prospects because they think they're going to play for the Phillies. But in Reading and Lehigh Valley, a lot of people follow Phillies players because they were Reading Phillies or because they were Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. So it really is just an incredible passion there. Now, you're going to have to go a year and a half at least in between announcing regular season games. How are you going to be able to stay sharp without an Iron Pig season to call games? Because for players, it's obviously disastrous to go a year and a half without development. But for people that broadcast, everyone involved with the game, umpires, you're going to, it's going to be a struggle to kind of be in game shape come April 2020, 2021. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be different because a lot of times – most of us broadcasters, we call multiple sports. So we just roll in from one sport to the other. For me, it's always baseball season comes right at the end of college basketball season. Normally there's about a three-week difference between basketball and baseball, and you use that time just to really rest up. And then that rolls right into football season. So you do get into a rhythm for the most part, but baseball is a totally different animal in terms of calling a baseball game compared to calling the other sports. You call a football game, it's fast. There's constant action. Same thing with basketball. There's no breaks. Obviously, you have you know, TV timeouts and stuff, but it's constant action. You're constantly just doing play-by-play, especially if you're on the radio. And then you call into a calling baseball game, and the game just stops. And it makes you a better broadcaster because you do have to find ways to fill time. So I remember I called two games in spring training this year, and that first time I hopped on a baseball mic, I had just called a basketball game about three days before it. So I was in, like, broadcasting shape. I was ready to go. And I had so much trouble calling the baseball game just because of how slow 
and how I had to get myself back into baseball mode, it's going to be weird not going from February 28th of 2020, whenever it was that I called my last baseball game until April 9th of 2021 or where, whenever it is when we get going. So it's a different animal and it's going to be, it's going to take some time to get back into the flow of things, especially come September if football season picks up or soccer or field hockey, whatever sport it may be that I call next, that all of a sudden it's going to be the second half and I'm going to be out of breath and I'm going to be starting to lose my voice just because I haven't called a game in so long. So there's different things that you can do. Um, one of the great things right now is just calling games on MLB the show and, you know, using that time to broadcast and just staying sharp, whether that's recording podcast interviews, whether that's on Zoom or going through your old demo tapes and just li- listening back and, and calling the games over again. There's different things you can do, but nothing can match calling a game live. And it's going to be strange. So I hope that college sports can pick up again. So come September, I can kind of flip the calendar and get things rolling again. So that way when April comes, I can roll back into it, but it's going to be strange. Especially fact that I will then have gone from March when I call my last college basketball game at the first round of the A-10 tournament until my first Princeton football game, whenever that may, whenever that may happen. It's, it's a long layoff. So I've been, you know, I've been doing everything I can to stay sharp and, hope that I can hit the ground running when the seasons resume. Yeah, and absolutely. A lot of the players that would have been Iron Pigs this season are going to have to hit the ground running in some form. Now, they may be at the Lehigh Valley as part of the 60-man squad, but not on the 30-man roster. However, there's Spencer Howard, there's Alec Bohm, and then there's a bunch of relief arms. Uh, the Phillies, frankly, <laughs> are going to need relief arms to step up this year with uncertainty about david robertson and sir anthony dominguez out for the season so when you look at guys that were either on the iron pigs last year or would have been iron pigs this year who sticks out as options that could really make an impact for the phillies in this 60 game season when you look at the guys on the player pool of the 60 man roster and you look outside the 40 man obviously alec bohm and spencer howard are the two guys that jump out being the number one and number two prospect in the Philly system. A guy that I'm really high on, and this is how I felt at the end of the season last year when I felt that he could have been called up to Philadelphia, is Connor Brogdon. I think he has a relief pitcher repertoire that is going to be really successful in the major leagues. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Madsen to the point that he is long, right-hander, throws hard, and really throws all of his limbs at you when he delivers the baseball. The number one reason why he reminds me of Ryan Madsen is he has an absolutely wicked changeup. He's a two-pitch pitcher with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball that he locates very well, and this changeup is one of the most dominant pitchers that I saw last year in AAA. Guys had no answer for it, left-handers and right-handers, He's working on the slider a little bit as another pitch that he can show to right-handed batters, but the fact that he already has such a dominant changeup already, I think will pave the way to him being very successful for the Phils this season. They needed to stack that 60-man with guys that can make an impact right away. With the games crunched together the way they are, they're going to need arms. So whether that's a veteran guy like Francisco Liriano or a guy like Blake Parker who was there last year, 
or Mauricio Yovera, who they've moved into the bullpen, and I think they're looking for a similar transition that they saw with Sir Anthony Dominguez when they brought him up. I thought Yovera looked very good in spring training when I saw him this year for the Phils. So I think the Phils have options, and they realize that they needed to pack this player pool with guys that they can shuffle in and out so that they're not getting caught in a situation where they're throwing guys out there that aren't going to have success. Circling back to Connor Brogdon, one of the other reasons why I really love his makeup is because like a lot of players that came up from AA to AAA last year, he struggled. Change in baseball, change in travel, change in players. But he took that and ran with it because... After his first couple of appearances, I can remember the first game up in Rochester after the All-Star break. He gave up a go-ahead home run late in the game. He really didn't have great feel, but then something clicked. And for the last 15 to 20 appearances, he was absolutely dominant. And that says something to me. When I look at a young guy who's moving up to a new level, struggling, and then able to pick it up. So, like I said, I thought Connor Brogdon was the guy that was going to be able to Help Philadelphia in September last year if the Phils were still in it. But now especially because they're going to constantly be rotating arms, in my opinion, I think he's a guy that could definitely make an impact for the Phils. But that's why you bring in these young guys. That's why you bring in these veteran guys. They're re-signing guys left and right. They brought in so many veteran arms. You're going to get Victor Arano back, hopefully. You get a healthy Tommy Hunter back. I think the Phils have built a bullpen even without Sir Anthony Dominguez and without David Robinson that is going to be really, really effective. Maybe you throw a Nick Pavetta in there if he's pitching out of the bullpen or a Vince Velasquez. You can switch guys around. I'm excited to see Ranger Suarez. I think he's going to take another step forward. You could move a Cole Irvin into the bullpen if you need a long guy. They have revolving pieces that I think is going to make the framework for a pitching staff that is going to be built for this 60-game season in such a crunched amount of time. Yeah, I think the mistake they made last year was betting on too many or too few arms to pitch too many innings, and a lot of those arms were veteran guys that got injured. This year it seems to kind of be the opposite approach that you're going to throw 20 arms at six spots, seven spots, and hope that those arms are able to stick. So we'll see if that's able to be successful. Let's pivot to this, though. You announced a ton of different college games before you worked for the Iron Pigs, and even now still you worked for the Iron Pigs for a few seasons before really getting your shot at radio last season. Still, your last name is McCarthy. Obviously, Joe Buck and Kenny Albert and a ton of other really good announcers have had to deal with this. But how do you block out credits that that think you've only gotten opportunities because of your dad? Listen, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and it's obviously something that when I decided I was going to go into this, I knew it was something that I was going to have to deal with. And one of the things that has been big for me, and I've talked to Noah Eagle about this too, because he being in a similar situation with his last name, is that we use our last names as much as we can to the point of it builds connections, right? It's we send an email out, hi, you know, I'm Pat McCarthy, I'm Tim's son, you know, I know you know you've met my dad before, blah, 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 blah. And I did that a lot during when I was first trying to break into minor league baseball because that's where, that's where my dad got his start. And everything in minor league baseball is a family. Everybody knows everybody. So that was really the one time that I really used 
my dad's name in terms of helping me just get my foot in the door because that's what it comes down to is getting your foot in the door. And I tell people I'm not ashamed of my last name. I'm not ashamed of where I come from. I'm not ashamed of the fact that, yeah, I do have a dad that is in the business and that does help me. But with that being said, you still have to do it. And the way that I block out the haters and block out the people that might give you criticism for nepotism or whatever it is, you just say, at the end of the day, if I'm not good enough, it's not going to matter. And if I'm not doing a good job, your last name doesn't mean anything. If you're not a good person, your last name doesn't mean anything. You can use it to get your foot in the door. You can use it to make connections. But if you're not good and you're not a good person, that doesn't mean anything. And it's not going to help you by any means. So I've been very fortunate. And yeah, my dad has given me opportunities in my life that I never imagined and I never dreamed of that it's been such an awesome ride so far. And having a chance to have done it with him has been so special. We, he laughs that I've really followed a very similar path to him, although I started a little bit earlier because he didn't really get into broadcasting until four years out of college. And that's when he broke in with the Trenton Thunder and he was doing Princeton football and he was doing Princeton basketball, which ultimately led to doing St. Joe's basketball and Rutgers football and just continuing to move forward from there ultimately to getting to Philadelphia. For me, same thing. My senior year of college, an opportunity presented itself to fill in for Princeton hoops. So I got a chance to start that, and now I'm going to be going into my fifth season at Princeton, which is it's amazing. I, I followed my first group of freshmen to seniors this year, and I was like, wow, how is that even possible? And then that ultimately led to doing Princeton football and then ultimately led some, for some opportunities also at St. Joseph's. So it's been a really cool ride to follow in my dad's footsteps as much as I can while still doing everything I can to pave my own path and become successful in my own right for being Pat McCarthy and not necessarily for being Pat McCarthy, Tom's son. So I try and create separation as much as I can just because I want people to know that I am my own person. But at the same time, not being ashamed and not being and not losing track on the fact that I am where I am because of the sacrifices that my dad made 20 and 30 years ago to pave the way for me to get to where I am, which is the greatest gift a dad can give his son. And for us, one of the coolest things we got to do was two years ago, Princeton had asked if he wanted to call the game with me. So Princeton Brown, two years ago at Jadwood Gym, in the same place that he began his collegiate basketball broadcasting career, the two of us got an opportunity to put the headset on and call a game together. It was so cool. It was such an unbelievable experience. And now getting an opportunity to work in the same organization that I grew up following, that I grew up really developing my love for baseball and my love for broadcasting, it's been awesome to get a chance to work with Kevin Franzen and Greg Murphy down in spring training and having my dad in the stadium, popping in and out, giving me critiques in the middle of the broadcast. It's been so much fun. And, you know, I will say I've been very lucky that the positives that I receive have outweighed the negatives for the most part of people. And I know that there is going to be criticism. I know that there are people out there 
But at the end of the day, you just have to block it out, and you just have to appreciate who you are, appreciate the sacrifices of people before you, and then at the end of the day, be a good broadcaster, even more importantly, be a better person, so that way you begin to forge your own path, and you carry on the tradition that my dad already set for me. So you've also grown up with a dad that, in my opinion, has been held to an impossible standard because he replaced one of the best to ever do it in Harry Callis. Growing up, I'm sure you weren't immune to seeing any criticisms on social media or any other outlet. And I think we're getting to the point now where there's a lot of younger people, people kind of five or six years below us that really don't remember Harry Callis announcing, but they've grown up with just your dad as the the main Phillies play-by-play announcer. And I think you're starting to see the tide shift a little bit on this. But for those that just held your dad to an impossible standard, how did you kind of cope with that as a teenager? Yeah, it, it was strange, especially in the in the world of social media, because I'm not blind to it. I see it. And I think the way that he handles it has made it a lot easier for us as a family. Just because he plays it off like it's so well. Number one, understanding that, yes, he and he somebody that is completely irreplaceable because from the 1970s until 2009, Philadelphia and the surrounding area, Harry Callis is the voice of the Phillies and he's the voice of summer. And he is larger than life and he was larger than life as a person too. And I was very fortunate that I was younger, but I still got to sit around in their office and listen to Harry tell stories. And he was such a special person. And to be held to that kind of standard, it just shows that you need to live up to the best of your ability. And I think that's how my dad took it. And he took it in stride that he's not Harry Callis, but he can do what he can to carry on the tradition and the nostalgia that comes with the Phillies broadcast during the summer. And as a teenager, you see that. And I think you become a better person because of it, because you see the way that he handles criticism and he sees the way that he handles people who comment that he's not Harry Callis and just knowing that he's not, he's Tom McCarthy. And I then use that in, in my own way that seeing this is how you handle situations because at the end of the day, like I said, in the last answer, the positives nine times out of 10 outweigh the negatives. And there's some really genuine people out there that, you know, you're right. Have the seen the tide begin to change because it has, been 18 years at this point that my dad has been with Philadelphia and you know Harry's been gone now for 11 years and it's I think we can all agree that we miss it every single day just because he we associate him with Philadelphia even even myself who didn't necessarily being so young watch Harry's games every single day but I go back and I listen to calls from 93 and I go back and listen to calls from 08 and 80 and stuff like that and you hear Harry's voice and you just instantly get transported to times when you can remember being at the game. You know, for me, I think back to his last home run, the Matt Stairs home run in Colorado. I remember that game. I remember watching it. Or you watch the video from the booth in the 08 World Series and Harry's calling the last out, which was so perfect. It shouldn't have been scripted any better than that, having not had a chance to call the 1980 World Series. So Harry made such a framework and created a foundation that is completely irreplaceable because he was Harry Callis and he was a good person 
he was a tremendous broadcaster, obviously. To me, you know, growing up, I associate Harry with NFL films. That's what I think of when I think of Harry Callis, because so much of me growing up watching the NFL was, you know, you watch the highlights and there was Harry's voice, and it just there was something about it that just buzzed. And uh, yeah, Harry is a really special person, and, and I part of me wishes I was a little bit older to hear, you know, those calls from 07 until 09 when he, you know, he unfortunately passed away. But, you know, Harry was such a special person, and I think my dad will be the first to admit that. He owes a lot to Harry because Harry was able to mold him from 2000 until 2005, and then again when he came back in 2008 and then the first couple of weeks of the 2009 uh season so i know the place that harry holds in my dad's heart and the impact that he made as a broadcaster and really the impact that harry had on all of us just when you think back to all those memorable calls of you know the 2000s when you know the phils win the win the division in 07 or 93 when you listen to highlights it's it, it's really special and harry and you know there's a reason that Phillies fans love harry callis so much because he is he was he was larger than life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you talked about NFL films. I love Scott Graham, who does a lot of that now. But Harry yep. is irreplaceable in that sense. I mean, I, I remember Coors Light commercials that Harry voiced that were just like yeah. infinitely more enjoyable with his voice on it. But like you said, I, I think what I've appreciated having talked to your dad, having seen him on Twitter, interacting with some of these people is it's not just that he shrugs it aside, it's that I believe he's genuine in shrugging it aside. I really think he's just doing him. I, I mean, I had him on a, a few months ago, and he just talked about it. He said, I'm you know, X, um, X years old, and I really just don't care about that right now. And yeah. It, it's, it's believable. And the flip side of those criticisms is that now your dad is – the voice of some of the most iconic moments in Philly's history in a lot of the same ways that Harry Callis was. Your dad called Roy Halladay's perfect game in Miami. He called Bryce yep. Harper's walk-off grand slam last year, which is one of the most incredible moments I've ever watched in a baseball game. Obviously, those are fond memories for all of us, but how much more do those moments mean to you with your dad's narration over it? Yeah. The Halladay perfect game to me, gives me chills every time I watch it. And that's obviously been heightened over the last couple of years. But, you know, watching the East 60 about Doc and hearing the voiceover and hearing my dad's call and, you know, I listen back to a lot of these things and I, and I, I forget sometimes that it's been almost a decade now since, or it has been, it's been over a decade now since he took over. So, you're right. There are a lot of memorable calls. I mean, the Harper call to me, uh, I think I probably watched it about 45 times that night alone um, just because it was so exciting. And I, I, I can tell when he, when he sits back and he's had a moment where he does say, wow. And to me, the Halliday perfect game, Hamill's no-hitter, Harper's grand slam, these different things I know – were special to him as well because he knows that those are things that are going to be remembered. So all of those games have meant so much. I remember with Doc's perfect game, Memorial Day weekend, I want to say, we had a huge family party at my house. And around the sixth inning, 
my dad must have texted my mom, he has a perfect game. So we all ran right inside and nobody moved for the next three innings as we all watched it together. And I, I will never forget the look on my mom's face when it ended and how excited she was and how excited everybody was in the room because it was history. And it was, even though we weren't there, we weren't necessarily a part of it. We felt like we were. And it, it was so special to have him there as well to you know, have a chance to, to call that. It's, Philly has given us a lot. And it's, Philadelphia means a lot to us as a family. And those memories are just continuing to add to that of you know, really making Philadelphia a part of our home. The last question I have, obviously your dad is still pretty young, so he's not going anywhere anytime soon. But could you see yourself, you talked about your experience at Princeton, could you see yourself in the booth with him at some point at the major league level? What do you think that dynamic would be like? It would be special. Uh, I tell you that, first and foremost, just because I know, I knew what that feeling was like the first time we called that game together. And that was just a Princeton Brown regular season Ivy League game. You know, who knows how many people were listening, but it meant something to us. And sharing the booth and sharing our love for sports has something that's always been so important to us as a family. And baseball has really been our identity for so long. I'm 25 years old, so this is the first time in 20 years that I don't have direct affiliation with baseball during a summer whether that was in Little League and then ultimately playing in college and then after college going and working in the minor leagues. So baseball is the identity of the McCarthy family. And now with my brother playing professionally and stuff like that, we still have it to an extent, but baseball means so much to us. So the opportunity to share the booth with him for a baseball game would be, would be pretty incredible. I don't know if I can necessarily put into words how much that would mean to me and how special that would be. But it's, I mean, it's something that you can't really, really put into words just because of how emotionally it would be so, so cool. Um, in terms of dynamic, I think we would, we'd vibe off each other very well. I think we have a very similar personality. I've taken so much, from him that I think I sound a lot like him. He has a much deeper voice than I do. I have much better hair, so I have that going for me. So if we were on TV, I'd at least have that. But uh, but overall, I mean, I think we would gel really well. I mean, if there was ever an opportunity for the two of us to share the booth for a baseball game in, in the major leagues or wherever it might be, whether it's college or whatever direction life takes us, it would... Uh, it would be pretty cool. I mean, you know, working together on the same broadcast team, that's a, that would be something that's, you know, would, it would be really cool. So for me, I would probably settle right now for just an opportunity to call a baseball game together because I think three hours with the two of us on the mic together, we could have a lot of fun. Um, but the idea of ultimately working together, that would be, that would be special. It's, uh, it would be, it would definitely be a dream come true. That's for sure. He's, he sacrificed so much for us over the last really 26 years from the first time that he took the job at the Trenton Thunder to, to now, he, you know, the baseball games that he 
he missed so that he that we could play baseball or you know the late night drives so we could get home to catch three innings of a three innings of a baseball game or you know driving overnight from a basketball game so that he could coach our middle school basketball team I think those sacrifices that he made for us when we were so young to have an opportunity to call a game together again it would just continue to firm up with me that this is what it was all about. Because as a young kid, you don't necessarily understand that. And it was probably until I was about 16 that I finally did understand that, that the sacrifices he, were ma- he was making was not for him. And uh, I think that it would just bring everything full circle. and it would, it would be really cool. Well, I think there's a real chance it happens someday. And regardless, Pat, I'm looking forward to hearing you call Iron Pigs games next season. Thanks for joining Locked on Phillies. Thanks, Tim. I really appreciate you having me on. This has been fun.